Welcome to Season 7 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. On this season, our guest host is Ryan Alba from Arizona. Join us as he interviews millennial clergy who are doing interesting things in ministry. Longtime listeners may also appreciate him bringing back a game we used to play called How Millennial Are You? And while he clearly enjoys his time having some fun addressing millennial stereotypes, the guests he interviews and the stories they tell are worth listening to. So without further ado, here is Season 7 of the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Welcome back to uh, the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I am your uh, guest host, uh, Ryan. Uh, this is the podcast where we explore the intersection of faith and culture. And today's guest, I am joined um, with my, joined by, with, for, I don't know. Uh, words are hard. Uh, by my friend, uh, Pastor Denise. Uh, Pastor Denise, can you Give us a little introduction uh, for who you are and where you're from and what you do and all that other good stuff. Okay. Well, how long do you have? Ha ha. We have as long as be, you want. <laughs> I used to be an English teacher and you were having trouble with prepositions. And those yes. are really, those are really important things because they define relationships between one idea and another idea. So I am joining you. Thank you for inviting me, even you, though I am not a millennial. You would have not wanted me as a, as an English student. I was not very good at English. Um, I'm going to just throw myself out there and say none of my students were. <laughs> That's okay. Cause we all survived. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I'm a pastor mm-hmm. in the That's church, know. in the church of the Nazarene. And um, I really don't know what you want to know about me. Yeah, well, where where are you? Where are you pastoring? What's your role? How long have you been there? Okay, I'm I'm the lead pastor of Nazarene Congregation in Chandler, Arizona. I've been here as the lead pastor almost eight years. Before that, I was an associate for four years. Before that, I was a um, a co pastor for a couple of years. And before that, I was fighting tooth and nail just to get my foot in the door to minister in any way that I could at the church in which I grew up. I'd been there for years. I was there for um, almost 40 years before I left to be a co-pastor. And when I was a little girl, I was a member of the Presbyterian church and I never, I just never felt a part of it. Mm-hmm. My dad was a pastor and I loved being in the office with him and watching him do his work and asking him questions about, well, things like, um, which came first, the dinosaurs or the cowboys and the Indians, because I couldn't find either of them in the Bible. Uh, you know, things like that, theology, important theological issues for children. I'm glad that you're, you, you like that you're, my, my daughter tells me uh, on a regular basis that um, Jesus is boring. So <laughs> <laughs> I heard that in some of your, some of your uh, Facebook posts. Um, yeah. Anyway, but I found church boring. Mm-hmm. I did. And my mother would give me very affirming statements, like saying things like, um, why can't you sit still like Trudy does? And why do you have to make so much noise? And why did you, do, you know, stuff like that. So that, that was church for me. I was kind of a busy little person, but as I grew up, I found myself in a very interesting intersection between um, between belief journeys. So, you know, growing up in the Presbyterian church, I thought, okay, they, they print out their services. So I'd say, okay, we are so far along and we have this much left. And oh my goodness, am I going to make it that long? <laughs> um, that's, that's how I grew up. And then when I was 14, I went to my uncle's ranch and spent a month there and heard the gospel story in a tiny little Baptist church. And now I recognize that it was very fundamentalist, but 
at that point, what I, what I recognized was I heard the story in a way I'd never heard before. And I saw myself in the story in a way I had never seen before. And so at age 14, I <laughs> went home in, you know, that humble, oh, so humble 14 year old teenage girl manner and told my mother, hey, we're going to change churches because, and then I highlighted all out for her. And she, my parents were divorced by this time. And she just said, Oh, okay. And the interesting thing is, like I said, I don't know how long you have for this, <laughs> but this is, this is so cool. And this is why I'm in the Nazarene church today. And this is important to me. And I, it might be important to somebody else out there. And um, after I spent a month at, in my uncle's ranch in the desert of Wyoming, I went to my grandpa's house in southeastern Colorado, where he was an evangelical friends pastor. Both of my grandfathers were evangelical friends pastors. And so I spent another month with my grandpa because my grandma had died the year previously and he was very lonely. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, grandpa's church re just figuring out this faith journey that I'd been smacked, gobsmacked with yeah. at this tiny Baptist church. Um, hearing the gospel in a different way in the evangelical friends church, we'd call that a branch of the Quaker church, but it's mm -hmm. a very Wesleyan. It's, it's, you know, it's one of our sister denominations. I didn't I don't think ever, I don't think ever, I mean, I'm familiar with friends. I knew they were Quakers, but I've never, I've never heard of evangelical friends. Yeah, the, the friends span the spectrum be, yeah. from social activism and never even talking about the gospel all the way to quietism where they don't, Talk. They have those silent <laughs> silent services, which I never yeah. did get as a kid. I just yeah. didn't. Is it? Are we done? What am I? <laughs> anyway, um, but while I was at my grandpa's church, his minister of music was having a family reunion. Her name was <laughs> her name was Fanny Frazy. Mm -hmm. She was the the music leader, and one of her granddaughters. I was a year older than I am. And we just hooked up. I mean, there weren't very many teenagers in this little teeny tiny Kansas town. So we hooked up together and I told her, Hey, I just got saved. And she goes, Oh, cool. Where do you go to church? I said, I don't know yet. And she said, well, there's, there's a Nazarene church in Tempe. And I went, what? She lived in Scottsdale. She went to the Scottsdale Nazarene church. Okay. And so she told me about the Nazarene church in Tempe. And so I said, oh, okay. So when I got home, that's what I told my mother. Um, we're going to go to this church. And my sister piped up and she says, we've already been there. And I said, what? what? <laughs> the pastor had been called on by one of the tiny little old ladies in that tiny Baptist church. Okay. And she had a friend in the Tempe Nazarene church who had called Stan McElrath and he'd already called on my family while I was still in, in Kansas. Oh. And huh. so there, there's no way I can deny that God was rooting me into this yeah. church. That's awesome. Where, I, where I've been ever since. And no, I don't love everything about my tribe, but I love so much about it. I think it's um, Rachel Held Evans that said, uh, uh, picking a church is picking which hot mess you want to be a part of <laughs> right? you can't pick your family but <laughs> yeah and you know they took they took me in i was yeah. a hot mess yeah okay i think that's that's fascinating i didn't know a lot of that stuff so i think that's that was really interesting so was a uh, tempe that was that at the its current location is nope. before nope. or nope. it was in a, <laughs> a time building uh, in downtown Tempe. And yeah. when I was, gosh, was I 15? Yeah, 15. Um, they moved to their current location, which was out in the middle of nowhere. And we said, why are we building a church out here? This is insane. And now, of it's course, you know, literally on rural road. Yeah, rural and the freeway is the prime location. Yeah, now it's not very rural anymore. No, it's not. Funny. I, I grew up down the street from that church and i never knew it was there <laughs> so i lived at uh, rural in guadalupe i know you went to marcos i would have gone to marcos i if you hadn't moved i hadn't moved yeah, yeah. um 
fun stuff. Okay, so I think I think you've established um, you are a little bit older than me, which is okay. Um, and this, but this is the Millennial Pastor Podcast. So one of the things that we do kind of is we kind of have fun with the the stereotypes of the, of the different generations. Um, and, and I took it, I took a stab at it and I, and I believe you, I don't think you're Gen X. I, I believe you would be a, a baby boomer, right? I am at the very youngest edge of the baby boomers. Okay. Yes. I learned a long time ago to not ask women their age. So I'm not going to ask you that, but I, <laughs> that's okay because you're the age of my kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know exactly how old I am. I am two months, three months younger than your mother-in-law. Hmm. I don't think you're the youngest age because my parents are technically baby boomers. I think they were born in 60. They were born in 60. So. Okay. So you're. I I sit corrected. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I mean, all these things are like the, the lines are fuzzy. Like I've seen definitions of millennial being anywhere from like 82 to 87. Oh, wow. 2000 to like, to like 98 to like 2003 so so it depends on who you're asking what the definition is i nice. mean they're they're pretty fuzzy but anyway the the the, the game we're going to play today is, is a little game i found on the internet called a boomer say what <laughs> <laughs> i'm not going to come off very well am i <laughs> so um it's it's a it's a fun game um in that basically what I'm going to do, I'm going to share it with you because we're on Zoom and I can do that. Uh, and uh, and also because the graphic is pretty, pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> all right. So the, 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 the rules are, can you speak boomer? Try your hand at interpreting these popular sayings from the baby boomers teen years, the 1960s. So I want to hear. You want to see so the, what's going to happen is i'm going to give you a popular saying from that you would have known probably as a as a teenager and i want to hear if you can tell us what it means for t- in today's language or translate it or whatever okay. all right so the first one is a uh, word from the bird i have no idea oh man i thought you would be good at this one <laughs> <laughs> sorry i is that related to an obscene gesture no well that no. i really don't know <laughs> word from the bird is uh to be honest being honest being real hmm. keeping it keeping it a hundred uh i like how this one i wrote tbh to be honest to be honest all right don't flip your wig <laughs> okay i know that one okay, don't go well, crazy don't go crazy okay I'm going to take that one because the, the definition they give is calm down. So I, I agree. Don't go, don't flip your wig. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> Come on, snake. Let's rattle. Ryan, where did you get this? <laughs> no, I've never, heard, I've never heard that, but I think I can guess what it means. All right. What would it be? Uh, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Okay. Uh, um, that's what it sounds like. Oh, <laughs> let's nope. dance or let's fight. Yeah, I, mm, sorry. I could see how that would be. Let's rattle. I think I guess let's dance, but the fight one, I didn't really get it. All right, what's your bag? Yeah, what do you like? What are you into? All right, I'm gonna take that one because I, I I agree. This one defines it as what's your problem? No, nope. no, that's not how we used it. Okay. What can you give it to me in a sentence? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, maybe I could. Okay, if I give it to you in a sentence, it's gonna sound like what's your problem? <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. I can see how the the mis the, the misinterpretation came about then. All right. Uh stop dipping in my Kool-Aid. I've never heard that. But we used to, <laughs> we used to bring Kool-Aid to school. Nice. And, you know, lick, stick our fingers in it and lick. lick <laughs> our, so we all had, had either red or orange or 
or green fingers at school, but I've never heard that phrase. So stop uh, being nosy, leave me alone. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I'm not a very good boomer. No, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> what a fry. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> what part of the country are these from? <laughs> oh, that might be, yeah, it might be regional. I don't know. I don't know, because I grew up in the Valley of the Sun. All right, let's see here. I don't know. Meaning, what a weirdo. They are acting strange. Okay. All right. Want to go to the submarine races? I think that means want to Mac. You want to Mac? Can you be more specific? Take out. You got it. And I had no clue that, that was <laughs> a thing when I was reading this earlier. I was like, no, that's not a real thing. Apparently it was. Yep. Um, there are so many questions about what the submarine is, why you're racing. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah you got to come up for air. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give me the skinny. Give me the dope. I the lowdown. All right. Tell it to me. Tell me the truth. All right, that's a good one. I don't know. Have you been keeping score? Because I haven't. No. I feel, I feel like you're like you're like fifty fifty at this point. That's your job. Oh, okay. I, I did my job wrong uh groovy threads <laughs> yeah cool clothes good fit great outfit yeah i'll go with that cool 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 clothes <laughs> this one this next one's kind of funny uh cat dude <laughs> uh meaning guy that's a cool cat that's a cool guy yeah dude all right dude it's the last one Cruising oh, or a bruising. This is my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this a lot. All right, you well, are you're asking for it, kid. You need a spanking. All right. So uh, you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna you're going to have trouble. You're about to get hurt. I, I believe those all qualify for, for mm -hmm. what you said. So I think you did better than half. So I think that's you you I say you're a pretty good um uh baby boomer if you ask is me that, is that good to be a good <laughs> yeah I, I, it's a good thing it's a good thing all right okay so i mean i i some of those i i thought made sense some of them definitely were a little weird to me it's a little have you ever seen those videos like um where they give gen z kids like the rotary phone and they're like i don't understand what this was so was it yes that. <laughs> my son um who is now he's close to your age he's do you, you know chris right he's joel's friend we've met him yeah i've met him yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he and his buddy when they were like seven or eight found my my um box of old 45 album 45 records uh -huh. <laughs> i came upon them in the rec room flipping them like frisbees i <laughs> i flipped out i said stop they thought they were frisbees. They didn't know what a record was. Man, yeah, I kind of, I kind of missed out on records. I grew up in the cassette tape age. Mm. Time for uh, CDs to happen. Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of just the fun part. Basically, this idea that you know, we, I think we have a lot of a, a lot of people have a, misconceptions about different generations. You know when it was back in my day kind of mindset but in reality i think most people are are the same throughout the years even though their slang may they, their slang may change from time to time yes so you already kind of went into it a little bit about it but i'd love to hear your story of a of how you were called to ministry and how you really um really kind of started uh, on your pastoral journey Okay. I, I listened to a podcast of Britt Bullerjack interviewing Jen. Okay. And her, her story is so similar to mine in that she said that she felt called to be a pastor's wife because she had no context mm -hmm. for a woman being in ministry. And that's the same thing that I, when I started dating my husband, uh, 
I kept saying, are you sure you're not supposed to be a pastor? Because his dad was a pastor. My dad was a pastor. My grandparents were both pastors. And I, I just saw that as my expression to live in a pastoral household, but I did not know it was me. Yeah. And so it took years. I was, gosh, 39, 40, 44. I don't know. Oh, older. <laughs> when um, actually it was your mother-in-law was leading a retreat and she told us to get into small groups, some small circles and share with the people in the circle, our passion for context, my mother-in-law is Vicki Cop. for anybody out there who would know who she is. Sorry, so. she, she's an ordained elder in the Church yes. of the Nazarene. Yes. She was she the first female pastor I ever knew. And she told us to get into a small circle at this retreat and share what our passion was. And my group was just like, we're not going to say anything. We don't know what the right answer is. And so I finally started and I said, I looked straight across the circle and I can still remember who I was looking at. And I said, my passion is teaching. And at that moment, I felt like there was a veil that came between me and the rest of the room. And I felt a warmth, almost like a water balloon, warm water balloon breaking on top of my head and pouring down over me. And I felt or heard God oh. say no you are to take care of your own. And I found that very confusing because I thought being a Christian public school teacher was my calling. And I believe that is a, a phenomenal calling to be a Christian in a public school, to provide yeah. a safe place for students and to speak the truth and, and grace into little lives. And I taught eighth grade, which they weren't so little and they weren't so nice, but anyway, um, so I thought that was what I was supposed to be. And that was in October and by January, um, God had so, confirmed my call and I, I resigned. What year would this, do you have an idea? Like kind of when this would have been October, 2000, October, 2000. Okay. Wow. Yep. Um, and you resigned, so you resigned as a teacher, and then, and then what I was did. your next I finished step? the year. I want everybody yeah. to know I'm, I'm an honorable person. I finished the school year. <laughs> but yeah, and at, after that, I said, okay, God, here I am. I'm ready. And it was three years. Three years. Uh -huh. And um, I had told everybody, well, I'll be getting my substitute teaching certificate because I loved teaching. I did. Yeah. And one morning I was walking with my sister, just walking and talking about stuff like we did. And so many times that's how God speaks to me. And I said, I don't know what the problem is. I just can't get all the paperwork in. I fill out this form and then I have to do this form. And then I can't do that form. And it's like, I'm not supposed to. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I guess I'm not supposed to be a substitute teacher because the state's hurting for teachers, as you know, and I couldn't, I couldn't get everything done in the right way. And I was still certified. So it shouldn't have been a big deal. So anyway, um, after three years, Vicki talked to me again and she said, Denise, have you, have you looked at this program, this master's degree in religion through Northwest Nazarene university? And I said, what's that? <laughs> she told me go online and the internet was still not a huge deal at that time I mean yeah. it was around but it wasn't that big a deal and I forgot about it and then like three weeks later I went online and we still had dial-up at home for Pete's sake and I found Northwest Nazarene University's uh, online programs and I looked at this um, this program in spiritual formation and I literally started to cry. I said, I didn't know. I didn't know there was something like that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that's what I wanted. Yeah. And without even con consulting my husband, I signed up for this expensive master's degree. Um, I already had a master's in education. Yeah, what's more? Yeah, what's one more? <laughs> <laughs> and, and even more, that was, in, um, that was in like September, October 
and they gave me provisional um, approval for enrollment. Uh, but since I had a bachelor's and a master's from secular universities, then <laughs> I had to fulfill the, the um, biblical literacy and theology degrees over Christmas break by reading books and writing papers uh, before I got started. So I did anyway. So, yeah. um, and then I still had to beg and plead and force my way in the door of ministry. I had to prove that I really wanted to do it to, mm-hmm. to my pastor, my local pastor who knew me. I mean, yeah, he'd seen me for years. He knew who I was, but it was just hard. It, there was no place for me. And I knew that I was called. That's interesting. Like, I mean, there's, I, there's so many things that, I don't understand like I feel like I don't know with your generation I, I think I understand you know not having any context for women pastors I, when I was growing up I had very little context for it um, but like my daughter told me a couple weeks months ago she said girls can't be pastors and I'm like at what point did we ever tell you that <laughs> like you know like your, you know, your grandma's a pastor and, you know, uh, Pastor Christy and so-and-so like, I'm like, we've never told you that you can't be a pastor. I mean, but then again, Jesus is boring. So <laughs> Paisley just, uh, she just tries to push your buttons, you know, oh, that I know, she, I know she is. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's my child. She's, she's me as a little one. <laughs> um, but I, I just think it's interesting, like in those things that we unintentionally kind of inherit or take in, even if maybe nobody has ever specifically told us mm-hmm. those things before. Um, yeah. I, uh, I can imagine that it would be difficult. And um, so you got, so you kind of, I don't know, kept at it until you got your local license. Is that kind of <laughs> what you did? And then, and then where did you go from there? Yeah, and it wasn't that easy. <laughs> I actually I actually wrote a proposal for women's ministries and had to beg to be the women's ministries director. Can you believe that? I would uh, give my eye teeth if somebody came to me and said, I'd like to do that. I'd say, done. You're, yeah. It's yours. No, it was, it's like nobody believed me. I think if you grow up in a church, mm-hmm. it might be harder. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what did Jesus say about not being <laughs> a prophet in your own hometown? Yeah. <laughs> there's there's something to be said for that. Yeah. Um, so then you um so you you started being the women's ministry director and you were and then working I, on your masters, and then what happened? And then I was senior ministries director. Uh-huh. I loved it. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. And then I, I finished my master's in spiritual formation and, uh, uh, that was in 2005. Okay. And then in 2008, I became co-pastor with Doug Pierce at new hope community church. Oh, see, I didn't know that you, did, you had done that. Hmm. So you were, was that, I had recently been, I know I, that's a more recent church. Is it, had it been, a, was it a new plant at that time or? No, it was planted like 20 years before that. Oh, okay. Maybe I just thought that it was a newer church for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. It so you it struggled for years. Yeah. Okay. And so you, you co-pastored there for two, two years. years. Yeah. And then um, Doug resigned. So I had to leave. Okay. Uh, and then you went. And then back. I, came, I came to Chandler, uh-huh. associate, a volunteer, unpaid associate. Oh, okay. At this time, I was ordained. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, so I, I love this church. I love the people here. And when the senior pastor left, I told Doug I would like to be considered 
Doug's the district superintendent. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, our DS. Yeah, uh, who was my my co-pastor? I was co-pastor with him. Um, uh, I I told him I would like to be considered as a candidate for uh -huh. the church, and they interviewed somebody else <laughs> who who declined it. Oh right. <laughs> yeah, and so then they decided. Oh well, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll think about her. <laughs> And uh, yeah, obviously you got the, the, the job. Um, at the time, were there a lot of women head pastors on the district, do you remember, or zero? Yep. So you were the, the one, were you, you weren't the first one on the district, right? There might've been one years ago. I didn't know them. I mean, I, I was the only one I knew of at that time. Okay. And that, I mean, Yep. Don't get me wrong. Like I, I think we're doing better than zero. <laughs> but we uh, are. We only have two, uh, two that I know of right now. Me and Christy up in the oh Tony Henry and like Abasu. I mean Kingman and Christy at the Navajo Nation at Sun Valley. There might mm. be another one. I don't think so, though. Well, Tara's a well, co pastor. Co yeah, pastor. Right, right. Um, I'm not discounting Tara. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I understand. It's a different category. Well, I mean, I don't know if you guys heard that. Um, <laughs> I am sorry. She got this new bubble bath. We're leaving this in. I don't even care. She has this new bubble bath, so she really wants. She really wants to have a bubble bath. Of course, hey, she does. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things that part of the reason why this podcast was started and. Um, Part of the reason why I think it's interesting to get perspectives from people who are older and younger is just kind of this idea that, um, well, my generation, the millennials, has is been proven to be the least church generation since they started tracking these things. Um, and Gen Z is probably going to blow us out of the water. We're going to, they're going to be even less churched. Um, as somebody who has been in the church for as long as you have, um, what do you think is, if it, is there anything that we can do to maybe, uh, not attract, but reach out to younger people and my generation and younger or ways that we can not keep people in the church, but just, you know, like keep people involved and, in, and, in, and, in, and in active in their faith. Well, obviously, we're trying to do that yes. in my congregation and with limited success, because as you said, uh, your generation and younger, I think they don't see the value. And as, as a group of people, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, I, it makes sense to me. Why spend your emotional energy and your time in something that isn't helpful or beneficial or enriches your life mm -hmm. or fulfills you or does something tangible for you? Why would you spend your precious time in that? And so what I think we need to do, and like I said, mm -hmm. we're trying to do this, is create relationship. Mm -hmm. a space where we can do things that are valuable, things that are helpful, beneficial, that build relationship, that build community, because I know that we all need that. And there comes a point in everybody's life, usually when things are not going so well, that they recognize that they need, they need either input from somebody who's been through it, or they need friendship, or they need food. 
<laughs> they need a place to live. Yeah. Um, I think need is the intersection. Need and um, and authenticity is the intersection where we mm. have to find ourselves in order to be the gospel to people. And I don't know that my generation has done that very well. In fact, I'm preaching on it this coming Sunday. Um, what are our prejudices? What, how do we do stuff that we feel threatened if somebody wants to change it, change the way we do stuff? And is that a bad thing? And how do we evaluate what's valuable and what is what is beneficial to change? You know, is this a moral issue? If it's not a moral issue, then we should consider doing it in a different way, perhaps. Yeah. Did that make yeah. sense? Am I talking all around the barn? Did that make any sense? <laughs> no, I think, I think you hit on a kind of a key issue for a lot of people. Like what's the difference? Like, I think there is value in tradition. There is value in, um, you know, doing things the same way that that you've been done for a long time um and things like the lord's supper <laughs> or yeah. baptism or um, right. and i'm not talking about yeah. about changing important things yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i think there is something that that the way we do things in the certain kind of ceremonial pieces of church life that is important to stay the same you don't want to be radically changing those things. But at the same time, how do you find that line of this is something that is important to our faith tradition and set who we are as followers of Jesus. And this is just something that makes me feel comfortable. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm preaching. <laughs> yeah. How do we decide? Well, um, well, can you give us a little preview? I mean, the sermon, this, this episode is not coming out to the end of the year. So your sermon will have been preached. So I know, <laughs> and, and I'm sure other people will have preached on it in a much better fashion and more cogently, but yeah. it's on Acts 11, one through 18, where uh, Peter has just had the sheet let down from heaven and mm -hmm. God says, kill and eat. And he says, I can't do that. Yeah, That's wrong. I've never done it that way. I can't do that because, you know, we don't do it that way. And then chapter 11 begins with Luke telling the story again, the whole thing again, because Peter has to explain it to the people in Jerusalem. They said, wait, what are you doing over there? Yeah. You can't let, you can't let those people mm -hmm. worship with you. You can't let those people eat with you. And Peter says, no, wait, this is what happened. And so the, our story, our part in this story is how do we decide if it's okay to change something so radically important to us? Mm -hmm. And the answer, of course, is the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is guiding that conversation. But we have to be good listeners mm -hmm. and we have to be discerning listeners. And the Wesley quadrilateral is helpful you know, mm. tradition, reason, experience, and scripture, every, the scripture is the overarching um, mm. component to that, yeah. the main factor, uh, we have to try everything by scripture, is, is this reasonable within scripture, has this been experienced in scripture, is this just a tradition, or does it exist in God's word, mm -hmm. and so we have to do that in order to discern whether or not we could or should change mm. the way we do some things. For instance, baptism. You mentioned baptism. Yeah. Well, in our tribe, you can pour, you can sprinkle, you can dunk. All of maybe, those methods. Maybe a are little spit. spit well, I, <laughs> that's usually not on purpose. <laughs> yeah yeah there's there's more than one way to do it yeah it's not it's not something that we're very strict on that's for sure um so how do you how do you personally go about kind of deciding those things and also as somebody who may who has been around the church for a long time and has seen things done certain ways how do you go about maybe 
letting things go or learning new ways of doing things? Well, I'm just going to be upfront and say I've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I freely admit that. Yeah. But I'm also not afraid to take risks. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to change things. And I get a lot of pushback sometimes. And I always listen to the feedback that I get. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I agree with it and sometimes I don't. And then we have a conversation, but I have to be willing to listen to the people around me. Mm -hmm. and um, hear what their, their thoughts are on what's happening. I changed the way we did communion at our church. Mm -hmm. And the way we do, <laughs> the way we celebrate communion, the way we receive communion, we don't take it, we receive it, is using the liturgy that's been in the Methodist church for years years and years and years. I mean, it's not a radical new way of doing things, but I, people left the church because we were using lit because we were reading a prayer. Oh, yeah. And I said, well, you know, we've done it that way for centuries. <laughs> yeah. For real. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Royal, we, <laughs> that, yeah, I understand that. Um, I think that's important. Um, some good advice I've gotten is that, like, when you change things, like, say, hey, we're going to try this for six months. <laughs> and because most people are going to are willing to give things a shot. If you're if you mm -hmm. if there's a, if there's kind of like, hey, if it works, we'll keep doing it. If not, we'll go back to how it used to be. <laughs> um but yeah that's uh, that's uh, that's the way that i've i've kind of been told like hey you know if you're if you want to change something and you basically if you propose it as a trial period as opposed to you know the old is gone we're we're trying this you know <laughs> we're doing it differently now people yeah. are tend to be a little bit more receptive to it true i was told by a very wise pastor once that all change is loss. Mm -hmm. Every change is loss, even if it's a good change. Yeah. And I found that if we explain very carefully the why as well as the how, it, it's helpful. It doesn't always solve everything, but yeah. you have to explain it also. I mean, you, you can't just change something and not tell people what's going on or why you're doing that. Yeah. Definitely. Well, as um, as a younger pastor, and um, and out there we we have a bunch of millennial pastors who are might be listening to this. Um, what would be some advice you give to pastors who might be uh, starting off in ministry, or kind of maybe they're they've they've been around for a while and they're they might be looking to see what God's calling them to next. Uh, I don't know. What, what, what do you think? Or maybe people are thinking, Hey, this pastoring thing might not be for me anymore. Um, or maybe I'd be happier at another denomination or something like that. What, what advice would you give to them? Um, people who are, are younger or still not hundred percent sure that maybe this is the right thing for them or they're looking for the next, the next step. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so much. There's just so much to think about there, Ryan. Um, yeah. One thing I would say is you will be tired and mm -hmm. you will be discouraged. That is not the end of ministry. Mm -hmm. You need to take care of fatigue and you need to take care of discouragement. And there are very simple things that you can do to help that. One is get plenty of rest. One is understand your Sabbath cycle. Another is to eat the right amount of food, the right kinds of food. Another is to get physical exercise. And another one is to have friendships outside the church that can give you context. Yeah. Either a spiritual, um, spiritual guide, which is good. They're hard to find though. 
or just good friendships outside of the church. So you will be tired, you will be discouraged, but you can do something about it. And two, um, what does the church look like? As mm -hmm. Dr. Carla Sundberg says, uh, is your parish that group of people inside the, that building? Or is it something different? We need to uh, break our preconceived notions of what it means to be a minister of the gospel and allow God to move us in different places, perhaps. Maybe mm -hmm. your parish is the people you work with at the supermarket or your classroom at school, if you're a teacher like I was, or um, if you're a student, the people that you run into in the hallway. What Your parish could look like a hundred different things. And so uh, if you get discouraged within a congregation, examine very closely your parish. Are you exegeting the culture mm -hmm. as well as exegeting the scripture? Maybe you're just in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And I think a key to all of this is being a good listener. Are we listening well to the Holy Spirit? Are we listening to the wise counsel of the people around us? I go back to Philippians 4, 9 through 13. Um, Paul says, he lists a lot of things. He says, do all the stuff that you see me doing. Do all of these things. That's the prescription for holy living, um, for successful living, uh, because we we all live in difficult, challenging places. Mm -hmm. And sometimes ministers tend to isolate themselves and feel like this is all my fault. This is all my responsibility. And it's not. It's God's church. Yeah. God is the partner. And on Monday mornings, when you're tired, it's really hard to remember that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I get an amen for that. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. Yeah, that's a important thing that I try to remind myself oftentimes of uh, being a church planter. Um, mm -hmm. I try to tell people, you know, I didn't start a church you know, God started the church and I happen to be Your involved partner. with it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not mine. It's not my church. It's God's church. Amen. Yeah. So Eugene Peterson used to say uh, in the contemplative pastor, I, I stop and remind myself before I go into a hospital room to call on somebody. I remind myself that God's already there. I'm just mm -hmm. entering the conversation. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, the kind of the last two items I want to ask you about is um, what does the church, either the global church or the Nazarene church um, need to do to kind of improve, kind of move on to the next um, generation? And then also um, what gives you hope in the church? You know, kind of where can we improve and what, what do you think we're doing well and we should keep on, on doing it? <laughs> I'll start with doing well. Yeah. I think our emphasis on education is good yeah. because we need to, and that's one of the things that I think we do much better than independent churches is we have, we have a level of, of um, accountability. For instance, you've got people, you've got me looking over your shoulder saying, Hey, that you did that really well. I'm, I love how you did that. Would you explain that to me? And maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have that level of accountability because we are a global church mm -hmm. and we have a hierarchy, which is not always a good thing, but it, in this instance, I think it is because um, we have people asking us hard questions mm -hmm. and making sure that we're healthy and okay, I mean, when it works well, that's what that's what it does. And independent churches don't have that. Yeah, they're each church for themselves. And we value education. I already said that we we um, have built universities and hospitals and child development centers in countries where we are not allowed to build churches. We have them all over the world. And we are globally connected. And I think one of the things that we can improve on is listening to the other cultures in America 
because we tend to be more individualistic here than mm-hmm. many other cultures. And I think that is to our detriment as a church yeah, and as a culture and as individuals. And so because we're global, we have the opportunity to listen to the other cultures and we need to do that. Uh, also, we need to we need to learn not to silo. Um, and by that, I mean, this is my church. This is my building. This is my stuff. You need to go build your own. For instance, my church shares our facility with two other churches, one Vietnamese and one Cameroonian. Wow. And I know. And we just feel so blessed to be able to do that because we've got this huge building and we only use it a few hours a week. So yeah. Uh, don't silo. Yeah. And one another thing that we need to learn how to do, and I've already admitted, don't know how to do this, is we need to learn how to be the church better than just try to get people to come in. We need to be the church wherever we wherever we are, wherever we go. And I'm not a good yeah. one to advocate this because my job is at the church. But I'm trying to. I'm trying to be a good neighbor and reach out to my neighbors and be the church to my neighborhood. And so that's one of the things we need to work on in order to attract. And I already talked about that earlier, how to attract the younger generations is Mm. to be meaningful and authentic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the, it's going to be probably a theme of, uh, this season of the podcast, this idea of being meaningful and authentic, and then also kind of not holding on to anything too tight because, uh, yeah, kind of welcoming in other forms of the kingdom and recognizing that being the church doesn't necessarily mean you go to church. Um, Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. I try to tell Oh, no, no, I was just say I, I, I always try to tell people, um, and I think COVID really, really changed my perspective in a lot of ways in that, um, you know, especially when we couldn't gather um, in person for so long, um, it, it changed my language from I'm going to the church to I'm going to the church building <laughs> to, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I preached a sermon on that about basically like the space is holy because we are holy, not because of anything else. Like it's in the end, it's four walls, a roof, maybe there's some cool stained glass. Um, but other than that, it's not anything, it's not anything special until the people enter into it. Right. So right. anyway, you, I cut you off. Oh, it's Okay. I was just going to say that I, this is pertaining back to my prior rant and rave. Um, I, I have been trying to help a young pastor, young Nazarene pastor in Malawi, which is the poorest country in Africa, according to Wikipedia. (laughs) And he needed money to graduate. And I was trying to send money to for him so he could pay for his graduation Uh, costs his graduation fees which amounted to a grand total this is the nazarene college in malawi um 74 Mm dollars well i have 74 dollars yeah and it took me six trips to western union Mm. before it finally worked and the ladies the ladies at well at this western union branches at safeway right by the church these ladies are, are so invested in this with me by this time. It's like, <laughs> let's make this work. But I was, I was getting to tell them, well, they're poor and he's going to be a pastor and I, I'm not poor, so I yeah. can do this. And it's, I'm not saying that to, to pat myself on the back, but I just wanted them to know why I'm doing it because, you know, there's such a, a stigma out there about Africa, especially because all, so many scams arise in Africa. And I wanted them to know that I'm proud, happy, delighted, blessed beyond belief to be a part 
of somebody else's mm-hmm. blessing and success thousands yeah. of miles away. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I hear that I work for an organization that does work in Africa. And I think that's a big thing is kind of starting off the conversation with we're not those kind of people. <laughs> you know, yeah, right? there's, there's a, uh, yeah, there's a stigma. There's a yeah. involved um, with um, serving others and especially in, in places like that. But there's a right way to do it. And I, 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 I believe that, that we are doing it the right way. And I, that sounds like that you were um, on board as well. I'm on board. I just have trouble sending money. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't. Yeah, Western Union is not a fun experience. <laughs> so far as I can find out, it's the only way to do it. So I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm not that surprised. That, that makes sense. All right. Well, anyway, do you have he, any graduates, par- he graduates Saturday. So oh, awesome. Awesome. Sorry. I interrupted you, you again. No, I was just going to ask if you had any parting words or wisdom or things you'd like people to know where can we follow you that's the question they always ask you <laughs> you can uh <laughs> follow me on my instagram art page <laughs> just kidding i'm just kidding i do have an instagram art page uh and just worship wherever you find yourself worship and speak the truth of jesus to into the lives around you and I am amazed that the millennial podcast wanted this grandma to be, <laughs> to be on the program, but thank you for asking me. Yeah. I, uh, I asked people that I think are interesting and have good things to say. So um, I'm, I'm glad thank that, you for that. You know, I'm glad that you said yes, because I think you're interesting and I appreciate your wisdom uh, whenever we meet and talk. Um, so uh, yeah, I didn't want to just keep it to myself. I mean, now other people can enjoy it as well. Okay, so I think that's it for us today. Um, just want to thank you guys for uh, joining us on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I've been your guest host Ryan, and uh, we wait to see. Can't wait to see you guys next time. previous seasons, you have heard us promote our fellow millennial author, but on this season, we're promoting a different sort of millennial minister. Have you ever prayed about becoming a military chaplain? It's undeniable that God has called each and every one of us to use the talents, the gifts, and the abilities he's given us for his kingdom work. From being the chaplain of a ship, to a Coast Guard unit, to even a Marine Corps battalion, if you are hearing this and wondering if this might be for you, I encourage you to pray about it. Yes, it's a call to all-around fitness, mind, body, and spirit, and yes, it's quite possibly the most challenging thing that you'll ever do. But it's also the most rewarding ministry I can think of. The most powerful force in the world, the United States Navy, needs chaplains. And as a recent initiative has been established that's seeking to put a chaplain on every ship, there is quite possibly a need for you. Being able to serve both God and country has been one of the most incredible blessings of my life. Check out the Navy Career website on the specifics of chaplaincy requirements, and I would love to connect with you if it's something you might feel called to. Pray about it. Thank you for supporting your local millennial pastor. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. This season's guest host is Ryan Alba. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. 
and original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.